In Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 26, the Bible tells us, In the sixth month God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with a child and give birth to the son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Lord, Lord God will give him the throne of David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. Virgin birth. We'll be discussing today the importance of the virgin birth. Uh, Before we get into that, though, I wanted to kind of share, kind of thought of an illustration this week. Uh, I had an opportunity to go to uh, Malakai, which is one of the islands, one of the Hawaiian islands. And uh, there really aren't that many people that live on this island, only about 5,000. And they're only, they only average three first-time visitors a day. Now, to put that in perspective, uh, Honolulu averages 1,000 first-time visitors a day. So that'll put it in perspective for you. Uh, this is not a, a very um, industrialized or developed island primary reason is, for over 100 years, it was primarily used as a leprosy colony. So anytime anyone contracted leprosy uh, in the Pacific area for sure, and even to outer regions of the Pacific, uh, they would bring them there, and they would kind of just kind of dump them about 100 feet off the island, and they'd just have to fend for themselves. There were no schools, no hospitals, no homes, nothing. Uh, you just basically went there to die of leprosy. And at that time, uh, there wasn't a lot of education about leprosy. People didn't know a lot about it. We now know that only 4% of the population can contract leprosy, but they didn't know that. They thought everybody could get it. And so children, uh, whatever age, uh, people who contracted it were, were pretty much taken there and that they would die there. And uh, there was the Catholic Church decided to start doing a mass once a year there. Matter of fact, some of the priests would actually do it from the boat, not even get on the island because of the fear of leprosy. And one of those priests was a guy named Father Damien. And Father Damien, uh, God really got a hold of his heart. And he really had a burden uh, for the lepers there on Malachi. And he uh, decided that God was calling him to go and to work there with a leprosy colony. And uh, they, of course, did not want him to do this, but he decided uh, through much uh, persistence to go, and he got there, and he uh, immediately began to build things. He built a school. He uh, also built a church there. That was the first thing that he built that they could actually do a little a little mass service. Uh, he, matter of fact, built over two thousand coffins by hand so that the dead would receive a decent burial. Uh, he began a band, a choir. Uh, they even made a little makeshift hospital. He began to reclo- request supplies to be sent in uh, from the church and uh, really uh, brought some humanity to that little island, that island of death, where there was no law, no government, no schools, 
nothing positive. It was just simply a place of death. And uh, Father Damien, he really embraced the people. And the longer he was there, the closer and closer to the point that he was actually hugging them and, uh, and, and bandaging their wounds and, and caring for them. And the people began to love him. But one day he stood up at mass and he started off with these two words. He said, we lepers. Father Damien actually contracted leprosy and took the disease of the people that he had gone to minister and work with came upon him as well. You know, at that point, they had loved him, but then all of a sudden he became one of them. He began to live in their skin. And not only would he live like them, he would die like them. And there was such a resonation and such a relationship built, not only because he was willing to give of himself, but because he actually contracted that disease because of his love and because of his willingness to become close to them, to touch them, and to become one of them. That's much what Christ did for us. We had a disease called sin, and he determined in his infinite grace and mercy to come and to dwell here with us, to experience the pains, to experience uh, the troubles that each of us have felt, the temptations and to live with it, but yet he remained perfect and then took our leprosy, our sin upon him that we might be forgiven. What a beautiful example of what it looked like for Christ to come to us. Is the virgin birth really important? Well, the Christmas narrative starts off and we know the story. An angel, as we read, appears to a young peasant girl named Mary, and Mary is given this pronouncement that you will have a child, and she responds by saying, I, I am a, I'm a virgin. I've never been with a man. How would that possible, be possible? And the angel goes on and describes to her that God himself would be the father, that he would come upon her, and she would receive a child. Now, there are, when we talk about the virgin birth, there are Three different positions that people can take. You know, the first one is just, I don't believe that. I just don't think that's true. Matter of fact, I don't buy the miracle business uh, the Bible talks about. I believe those are probably stories. And, um, I mean, come on, a virgin birth. Now, we know what probably really happened. I mean, she's not the first girl to find herself in this situation. And probably what happened, she just said, well, you know, God gave it to me. And, I mean... It's not like God was going to come down and say anything about it. And so that story just kind of took off. And here we have the, the virgin birth. <clears throat> Still others would say, well, you know, I, I believe the, the, the stories of the Bible. And I, I believe some of the miracles. But I don't believe all of them. And the virgin birth is one of those stories I just don't believe. I, I just don't buy that. You know, I mean, that's just a little beyond me. Don't get that one. Maybe I accept the resurrection. Maybe I believe that God created the world. But... I don't know about that one, but, you know, for me, when I stop and think about it, and when I became a believer, I mean, I signed up for some pretty miraculous events from this book already, and the virgin birth is really not, it's not the hardest one to really, to believe. It's not the hard, the, the biggest thing that ever happened. I mean, when you think about Jesus dying and three days later coming back from the dead, I mean, that's, that's a pretty big one. Uh, if I can buy the resurrection, the virgin birth isn't quite that 
uh, hard to believe. Or how about this one? And God spoke the world into existence and God created the world. Those are pretty big ones right there. And if I can grasp that God created everything out of nothing, if I can believe the resurrection of Christ, I can certainly receive the virgin birth. You know, the problem is, is when we get out our little red pen and we start kind of crossing out miracles that we're not going to ascribe to. And we go, well, uh, that one. Yeah, that one. I don't know about that one. And we start kind of doing doing that. Then we kind of decide that we're going to take the place of God. We're going to kind of be the Holy Spirit of interpretation. And what's interesting to me is in the Old Testament, and we know all the miracles that are recorded there. Jesus certainly affirmed it. He certainly took this book at its value and out of its worth and of its truth. And so I think if Jesus can affirm those, I certainly have no problem affirming the virgin birth. And then there's a third camp where people say, well, I believe the Bible. It's in there, so I believe it's true. It's kind of like the old preacher that said, I believe the whole Bible, even the maps. Uh, like somehow those maps were divinely inspired, you know, and like they could never be wrong or something. Uh, but, you know, I believe there's good evidence and I believe there's good reason to believe the virgin birth even past just, I'm going to accept everything. And I want us to look at some of that today. I want us to look at some of those reasons that we can believe and understand the importance of the virgin birth. Why is the virgin birth important? Well, number one, if you look in John chapter 1, the Bible tells us right here uh, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him life, and life was the light of men. That's the Logos, Jesus there, that's being described. And uh, sometimes we use that as the doctrine of eternality. What does it mean? It means that Jesus has always existed. When we say you know, God, we were talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A lot of times people have the perspective that Jesus kind of came on the scene, that maybe he was self- sitting on a DNA shelf in heaven, and then all of a sudden he, uh, God kind of plugged him in, and, and there he came. But and in fact, uh, we do again affirm that uh, Jesus is part of the Godhead, and that Jesus has been here from the beginning. And when we think of it that way, then it's important for us to understand, just as John 17 tells us, the glory he shared before the foundations of the world. That Jesus was there at creation. Philippians 2 tells us that he humbled himself, taking on the nature of a servant and being found in the appearance of man. He humbled himself to become, to obedience, even obedience to death on a cross. Jesus took upon himself uh, and decided as God is determined to come here upon the earth and walk and experience all the experiences, all the temptations that you and I would have so that we might know someone who understands us, who has felt what we felt, who has been where we have been. Jesus has been there forever. He is eternal. Now, there was a big debate in the fourth century with a guy named Arius. And Arius was a young, charismatic Speaker, and he determined that Jesus wasn't God, he was just God-like. He had God-like qualities, and he was kind of a type of God, but not the God. And matter of fact, he even wrote a song and, and would sing that sometimes in, in order to ex, uh, kind of express his point. Uh, but the fathers, the patristic fathers, uh, determined that they wrote a song too. Uh, those who, who believed in the inerrancy of Scripture, 
uh, and it was called the Gloria Patri. It was in response to Arianism. And the Gloria Patri, most of you are familiar with it if you were raised Catholic or in a liturgical background. It starts off, it says, Glory be to the Father and the Son. It goes ahead and tells us right there, and the Holy Spirit. And he goes on, the, the song goes on to say, uh, and it was the beginning, as it was in the beginning, and now and ever shall be world without end. That was a direct response to Arianism. Now, the early church certainly believed that Jesus was born of a virgin, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. As we quoted this morning, uh, our confession comes from the Apostles' Creed, which is a, a very early creed, probably first or second century in its uh, initial phase. And it was actually in that part, the fathers thought it important enough that they said, Jesus, born of a virgin. They literally come out and say, Jesus, born of a virgin. That's why that was put in there. They were addressing issues that were coming up. Then the Nicene Creed, we see that Jesus was begotten. That word begotten means to father, to the, uh, it comes from your kind. In other words, C.S. Lewis talks about uh, the only things that can be begotten uh, are things that come from who you are. So you begot a child, you don't begot an animal. God created animals, God created the earth. But the only time we see the word begotten used, we see it in John 3.16, we only see it in reference from God to Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So it is important that we recognize the importance of uh, the virgin birth as we look and recognize that this was God in the flesh, Jesus himself. Now, also the Old Testament prophecies, as we saw on the screen, affirm the virgin birth. If you have your Bibles, look with me in Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah 7.14. We see here the prophecy, the foreshadowing of Christ and the prophecy that was given. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. If you flip on over to Isaiah 9.6. For to us a child is born and is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, um, as we look at this, I think it's important to see that there's a distinction that's made. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, a virgin, you know, sometimes that was just used to describe young women. But we know from Matthew and from the Septuagint, uh, which was the Greek translation of the New Testament, that the word that's used in the Greek there can only be used to describe a literal virgin, someone who has not been with a man. Not only that, in the prophecy that we just saw in uh, Isaiah 7:14, they said this will be a sign to you that there will be born of a virgin. Now, that wouldn't be much of a sign if you just said he was born of a young woman. This will be a sign. He'll be born of a young woman. Well, that's not much of a sign. We're all born of a young woman, pretty much. You know, some of us, maybe our mothers are a little bit older. Uh, but that's not really much of a sign. That wouldn't be much of a prophecy in a sense. Now, granted, there is a foreshadowing there, uh, a kind of a dual prophecy that's listed there in 714. But I think this clearly points to uh, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. And then, of course, as we continue and we read the passage that we just read earlier, uh, we begin to see in the New Testament the quotes that are made, which is the third point. The New Testament declares the virgin birth of Christ. Uh, let's reread that passage that we read earlier 
in Luke chapter 1, beginning with the 26th verse. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town of Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this was. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and you will have a child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. His kingdom will be forever. And then Mary says, in case we're ever wondering... Here's a definitive statement of the virginity. How can this be since I am a virgin? She's not saying, how can this be? I'm just a young woman. She says, I am a virgin. And it is answered. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be called will be called the Son of God. The virgin birth. It's important. Uh, and as we look at this, we see that Jesus certainly put a lot of credence into the Old Testament. And then we see the New Testament. Matthew as a Jew, writing the book of Matthew. Luke as a Gentile, recording the words. And we see the evidence. We see the prophecies that were made in the Old Testament, over 300 prophecies, and then the fulfillment in the New Testament. Millard Erickson, who was... Uh, who actually wrote the systematic theology book that I took uh, in seminary, gives four implications of the virgin birth to our salvation. Four important implications. Number one, the virgin birth is a reminder that our salvation is supernatural. Our salvation is supernatural. It's not something that just happens, that we become good enough or we earn it. It's supernatural. God has blessed us and God has provided it. Just as it was supernatural for his death and his resurrection to occur, so is it supernatural, his birth, which was, in effect, an immaculate conception. Number two, virgin birth, the virgin birth is a reminder that our salvation is a gift of grace. It is a gift of grace. We don't earn it or deserve it. It's been given to us by God himself as a gift. Number three, the virgin birth is evidence of the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. No one has ever been born like Jesus was born. And no one ever came back from the dead after three days. It was the power of Jesus. It was unique to Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Number four, the virgin birth is evidence of the power and the sovereignty of God over nature. It shows the power and the sovereignty of God over nature itself. Is there anything too hard for me? I am the Lord thy God. It's important for us to remember that, that Jesus even went to the point of being born and feeling that pain to the pain of death, dying upon a cross, experiencing everything you and I could have ever experienced. Just as Father Damien decided to go and inhabit a land of lepers and dwell amongst them and become one of them, so did God determine to do for us. Jesus came and lived amongst us, and in doing so, took our sins upon him. We could fully relate, fully understand, and fully know him. This morning, as we come to the table of communion, we do so recognizing that Christ not only was born, 
miraculously, but that he rose again three days again after his death. We realize that it was God in the flesh. And because of that, we can come and receive of his grace, of his goodness. As we receive of the bread and of the cup of the new covenant, we do so in remembrance of him, in remembrance of the one who is eternal, but who made himself man so that we might know him.